0: Good morning. good morning. Welcome. Good to see you. Uh, boy, the singing's great this morning. You guys really sound sound like you mean it. Uh, that's a good thing. Glad that you're with us today, whether you are a guest of ours or whether you're right where you always sit every week. We're glad that you're here. And uh, here's the deal with today's lesson. We have spent the best part of this year going through this sermon series, Meant for More. You probably thought we'd wrap that series up. In fact, I kind of thought we'd wrap that series up, and then Easter snuck up on me, and I really wanted to preach those three sermons centered around the three days of the the crucifixion and the resurrection, and I realized there were still some things I wanted to say about being meant for more. So we're going to spend this week and next week finally wrapping up uh, this sermon series. And I want to begin today with kind of an interesting concept that was shared with me, and that is the fact this concept that there, there are inanimate objects that are actually gender specific. In other words, there's things that we see and use every single day of our lives, and they're specific to either male or female. Let me share with you a couple. I think you'll understand what I'm talking about. And by the way, these objects that I'm going to share with you, they're all male in, in gender. Freezer bags. They're male. Here's why. They hold everything in, yet you can see right through them. Okay, you see where we're going here, right? Okay. Hot air balloons, male. To get them to go anywhere, you've got to light a pretty good fire underneath them. Thank you. (laughs) Tires, definitely male, because they're often overinflated and go bald easily. Not funny, is it? (laughs) Says the overinflated bald guy. And then finally, this one: hammers, again, male. Because in the last 5,000 years, they haven't really changed at all, and yet on occasion, they're handy to have around. (laughs) You know, it seems that most women enjoy pointing out men's weaknesses, don't you? I saw an interview on Good Morning America with a fellow who wrote a book, Man Down. And in this book, this man wrote about dozens of things that women do better than men. Now, what man would write a book like that, right? But uh, he talked about some special concessions that were being made finally uh, for the women of America. And I didn't know about this. Uh, It talked about with a high rate of attacks on women in secluded parking lots. Uh, the Minneapolis City Council got together and created a women's-only parking lot in the Mall of America. don't know if you knew this or not. An area where only women are allowed to park, especially in the evening hours. In fact, the parking attendants there are all female. And the idea is they wanted to provide a comfortable, safe place for their female patrons to park and and be able to shop. Uh, Let me show you a picture of the first women's-only parking lot... In Minneapolis. I'm not sure why women like to brag about things they do better than men. And I'm not sure why men like to brag about things we do better than women. I actually try to convince my wife of all the things I can't do so that she will do them for me. But there's a reason why I'm starting this way. There's a reason why I told you about that joke about, you know, that kind of puts men down. And there's a reason why I show you this picture that sort of puts women down. And it has to do with our subject for this morning. You know, we've been talking about this idea of being meant for more. And I keep coming back, if you remember a month ago, I kept coming back to the same verse, the same statement that Jesus makes in John chapter seven on the last and greatest day of the Feast of the Tabernacles. Jesus says in a loud voice, by the way, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him. By this he meant the Spirit. And we talked for several weeks about what spiritual growth consisted of and what spiritual growth might look like. And then we spent a couple weeks talking about those things that might inhibit or block those streams of living water uh, from flowing from within us, kind of barriers to the Holy Spirit's work uh, in us and through us. And if you remember, I tried to single out a few things that we all struggle with. Anger, fear, greed. This morning I want to talk to you about pride, this feeling of superiority. And not just the smugness that says men are better drivers than women, or you know, women are better communicators than men. I'm talking about the spiritual kind of pride. The, the smugness that says, well, I'm in and you're out. I, I sort of belong and, and you sort of don't. Hello, I'm better than you. You know, the Bible has a lot to say about pride. But this morning, we're not going to jump around too much. We're going to stay in one particular passage One instance where Jesus tells a story, and in the story he does such a great job of describing the destructive nature of pride. Not just with the relationships that we have with each other, but the destructive nature of pride with our relationship uh, with the Lord as well. And how it actually does shut down those streams of living water that God wants flowing through us. It's a famous story. It's found in Luke chapter 18. And Jesus is talking to some people that He could tell right away, uh, they thought to themselves, we got this God thing all figured out. Okay, As far as us and God, we're good to go. God is actually very fortunate to have us on His side. So Jesus, the master teacher, uh, understands the crowd that He's speaking to, and He thinks to Himself, how can I show these people just how far off base they really are? What can I do to teach these people what true love and service really does look like? How can I convince them that they have so much to learn? And so Jesus decides, I'll tell them a story. And so he tells a story. Luke chapter 18. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everybody else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood up and prayed about himself, God, I thank you I'm not like other men, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. Now, to really understand the power of this parable, we have to understand who it is that Jesus is talking to. And Luke tells us two things about the people that Jesus is talking to. One, they were confident in their own righteousness. And two, they looked down on everyone else. And again, to understand the power of this parable, you have to understand that that kind of attitude put Jesus on tilt. I mean, that kind of attitude bothered Jesus a lot. That kind of attitude still bothers Jesus a lot. You remember, according to Jesus, the the essence of righteousness is love. He was asked, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. I'll give you the second one. Love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said everything else kind of hinges on those two commands. You want to know what the the righteousness really is? The Torah says it's love. Jesus says it's love. Now, to look down on someone, to, to hold someone else in contempt, that's sort of the opposite of love, right? So Jesus says you people that think you're so righteous, the fact is you're really unrighteous. You people who take great confidence in honoring the greatest command. Well, it's grand commands about love. The truth is, you're some of the most unloving people there are. So he tells a story that involves two people. And to these very self-righteous people, he says, one of these individuals in this story is just like you. One of these individuals in this story... Is nothing like you in fact the other guy is the guy that you would say is sort of the scum of the earth and the conclusion of the story is the fellow that you think is the scum of the earth really gets it right in this whole thing and the guy that's exactly like you he gets it so wrong in this story now everybody listening to this story It didn't take them long to read between the lines, right? This isn't one of Jesus' stories where everybody's going, hmm, what exactly did he mean? Could it be, is it us? Are you trying to. No. They knew exactly what Jesus was saying to them. I mean, the tension after this story had to have been so thick, you'd have been able to cut it with a knife. Jesus has taken the gloves off. I mean, he's coming after these guys. He's not pulling any punches at all. He's saying, here's here's how you are, and that is a problem when it comes to your relationship with the Father. He calls them out on their elitist attitude, on their air of superiority. He's going after their pride. Why? I think it's because maybe when it comes to pride, we're dealing with something that's almost impossible to see in our own lives. You know, we've talked about anger and fear and greed anxiety, addictions. Those kind of things push people toward a 12-step program, you know, millions of people a year. Heard about a guy who was addicted to Stairmaster. He joined a 12,000-step program. I was just to see who was paying attention. But most problems that we struggle with, we're aware of it. And maybe we'll seek some counsel No, maybe we'll buy a book or attend a class, try to get a handle on things. I've never heard of anyone going to a counselor. No one certainly ever come to me as a preacher and said, I need help with my pride. We just don't think that way. There's no Betty Ford Clinic for the insufferably arrogant. One of the biggest problems with this idea of superiority and pride is the people who suffer from it don't even know it. And here's the irony. Listen up, because this might be the best thing you hear all day. Most people, most Christians that hear this story, and you've heard it a lot of times in your life, most Christians, most church people hear this story, and you know what their reaction is? I'm so glad I'm not like that Pharisee who was so glad he wasn't like the tax collector. That's how most people react. You know, thank you, God, that I'm not like that Pharisee who was trying to earn his way into heaven. His theology was all messed up. My theology is better. I got it right. So most people's uh, uh, attitude toward this story is, I am so glad that I'm not like that guy who was so glad that he was not like that guy. It's dangerous ground to be on as we start talking about this story that Jesus told. You know, when you start with kind of a judgmental attitude, uh, you're on dangerous ground. I'm, I'm just saying. So, let's look at the Pharisee. He does an interesting thing with his prayer. Have you ever heard someone who prays and technically they are praying to God, but you know they're really praying so other people can hear them? You ever hear that, see that, experience that? And the guy who says, Dear God, please forgive my wife for forgetting my birthday, even though it's not too late to get that leaf blower at Home Depot that's on sale... Now, technically, he's praying to God, but obviously, he wants someone in the audience, the crowd, to hear what he's praying. That's kind of what this Pharisee is doing. Technically, he's praying to God, but he's not thinking so much about God. He's thinking about the people who are listening to him. Hey, you want to know what righteousness looks like? Look at me. Listen to me. Hey, everybody, why can't you be more like me? And then he does something else. He compares himself to other people in order to make himself feel better. Thank you, God, I'm not like all these other people. Especially this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of all that I get. Now, we sort of pass over those statements, but those are loaded statements. I fast twice a week. According to the Torah, according to Leviticus uh, Chapter 25, you know how often an Israelite was commanded to fast? Once a year, on the Day of Atonement. Look how many times this guy fasts, twice a week. He's like a hundred times better than what's required, right? He's doing so much more. He, he, he does more than he has to. Then he says, I give a tenth of all I get. Again, this is a loaded statement. According to the Old Testament, tithing didn't have to be done on things like grain and and wine and oil. Those things were tithed on on production. So you didn't have to do it a second time. This guy says, I give a tenth of everything I get. I'm doing so much more than is really required. I'm going above and beyond. Look at me. And this Pharisee tries to convince himself and and, uh, convince everybody who happens to be listening to him because of all of his extra credit work, that what's really important are these religious activities that he's doing. He really has no regard for the person that he might be becoming. And when you think about it, the Pharisee didn't have to do this. I know Jesus is telling a story and he's making a great point. But the Pharisee didn't have to react this way. You know, the Pharisee could have looked over and saw that tax collector and thought to himself, wow, that would take a lot of courage for that guy to come to the temple. I wonder what his story is. I wonder if he's lonely. I wonder if he feels ashamed about something. You know, this Pharisee could have walked over to the tax collector and put his arm around him and said, you know, I'm I'm so glad you came here today. This is really a good thing for you to be here in the temple praying to God. You know, you and I, we're not that much different, really. We're both just two guys who need the grace of God, right? I'll tell you what, you pray for me, I'll pray for you. The Pharisee could have done that. And probably would have opened a lot of doors that way. Might have changed some lives that way. And I think if the Spirit of God was flowing through him like streams of living water, I think that's what the Holy Spirit would have prompted him to do. Something like that. Love, patience, kindness, goodness, aren't those fruits of the Spirit? But of course, the Pharisee doesn't do any of those things. For him, religion and spirituality was a way to lift himself up. And the irony is, I don't think he even knew it. I don't think he even recognized it. Because you can aim to love people or you can aim to impress people. But you can't do both. Now, here's a little bit more irony for you. If you were to ask that Pharisee, how's your spiritual life going? Hey, how are you and God doing? I have no doubt he would have said, we're doing great. In fact, better than ever. Spiritually, I'm doing so much better than I've ever been. I'm coming to the temple. I'm praying. I'm worshiping. I am, I am fasting. Man, I'm fasting over the top. I am giving like crazy. Yeah. Boy, my, my spiritual life, it couldn't be better. Things are great right now. And the whole time, Jesus says, he's sinning. The whole time he is violating love. He is damaging community. And and maybe worst of all, he's making the idea of a God centered life look really obnoxious to everybody else. Have you ever seen that? Have you ever seen someone who said, Oh boy, I love God. Let me tell you about my relationship with God. And in reality, they're closing more doors than they're opening as far as drawing people to the Lord. Let me get a little bit personal here. Watch your toes. I'm about to step on some, including my own. See, I I know about this guy. And the scary thing about this guy is he goes a little bit deeper in me and probably in us than maybe I'm willing to admit. Do you ever find yourself passing judgment on someone? Do you ever find yourself getting just a little twinge of joy about seeing someone else fail? Maybe more than a twinge. You know, you hear about somebody who's messed up, and you never say it, but you sort of think, hmm, yeah, serves them right. Saw that coming, didn't we? kind of makes you feel good. It sort of makes you feel superior. Maybe someone has a personality that's just hard for you. Maybe you don't approve of the way someone dresses or the music they listen to. Maybe someone has different politics. Maybe somebody's theology is a little bit off. Maybe it's a family member that you really can't control, so you, you just cross your arms and shake your head. And It's not a good thing, by the way. You close your heart. You withhold your love. And you don't even realize it. And your lovelessness is probably worse than the sin that you were trying to point out in their life. Two men went up to the temple to be with God. One was a Pharisee. And the higher he climbed, thinking he was getting closer to God, really the farther away from God he found himself. And then there was a tax collector. Rabbis didn't tell stories where tax collectors were the heroes in the first century. No rabbi would ever tell a story where the star of the story was a tax collector. The tax collectors were the sellouts. They were the ones who kind of turned on their own people and and were siding with Rome. They were the crooks. They were greedy. They were dishonest. They were traitors. Tax collector goes up to the temple and Jesus says the tax collector stood at a distance. Again, kind of interesting Both the Pharisee and the tax collector separate themselves, but for two very different reasons. The Pharisee wants to be seen by people. The tax collector separates himself because he knows he's broken inside. He wouldn't even look up to heaven. Wouldn't even raise his eyes to heaven as he prayed. But he does something extraordinary. Jesus says he beat his breast. He stands apart and he beat on his chest. The act of beating on your chest was considered to be an expression of extreme agony in that culture. Very rarely done, by the way. Usually only done by women. In fact, we read about people beating their breast only two times in the Bible. Never in the Old Testament. Only two times in the New Testament. Once in this story that Jesus tells about a man who beat his chest, You know what the other time is? Some people beat their chest. The cross. This man stood apart. Wouldn't even look up to heaven. He beat his chest and prayed, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. Now, we know what the Pharisee thought about the tax collector. The Pharisee made it very clear how he felt about the tax collector. How did the tax collector feel about the Pharisee? I don't know. I don't know because we're not told. Apparently, the tax collector wasn't thinking about the Pharisee. God, my heart, my story, my life, my problems, my failures, those are the only truths that I really know. I don't know anybody else's heart. I can't judge anyone else's motives. I'm not thinking about that I'm thinking about my shortcomings and my sins and my faults God I long to stand with the righteous but I'm not righteous I don't deserve it I'm not entitled to it I'm not standing here praying you trying to impress upon you and everyone else what a great guy I am God would you have mercy on me because I'm a sinner Now remember where this all takes place they're in the temple and that tax collector would have seen the lambs being sacrificed. He would have smelled the incense that was burning. And he would have wondered, God, is it even possible? Could a sacrifice be made that was so great that it would atone for my sin? Is such a sacrifice even possible? Of course, as Jesus is telling the story, He knew there would be. The sacrifice that Jesus was going to make, the the death on the cross was going to provide mercy and grace for people just like that tax collector, and people just like you, and people just like me. At the foot of the cross, there's no room for pride. At the foot of the cross, there's no room for superiority. When the Holy Spirit starts flowing through us like streams of living water, you know, there's no room for smugness or, or self righteousness. Fast forward about 2,000 years after Jesus tells this story in our world, our culture, our time. If I were the evil one and I wanted to separate people from God, I'd use anger. And I'd use fear. And I'd use greed. But I'm telling you, if I were Satan and I wanted to separate people from God, especially in America, in the church... You better believe I'd use pride. And I'd use it in a way that people didn't even recognize it in their own hearts. You know, I'm talking to a smart group of people. This is an accomplished group of people. But maybe today you're sort of on a, the fast track to the, the Pharisees' uh, uh, direction towards God. And you might not even know it. And you say, you know, I'm a pretty good person, come to church. Pretty often, you know I get involved with a few things I, I I give my money to the church i I try to help people when it's convenient. You know, I think i'm more good than bad i'm probably better than you know average. Life begins with God when you pray that tax collector 's prayer god i'm a sinner i don't deserve it. you know I forget that sometimes because the way my mind works. But when I'm alone with you, I don't stand before you in pride. I stand completely broken. A sinner. Begging for mercy. You know, If we could do it on our own, we wouldn't need the cross. But we can't do it on our own, so we do. We need grace. We need mercy. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. That's how the story began. Here's how the story ends. I tell you that this man, talking about the tax collector, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. This morning, my prayer for myself and for us is for humility. My prayer is the tax collector's prayer. God, would you have mercy on me, a sinner? If you need to pray that same prayer,
1: maybe there's something
0: else going on in your life that you just really need the prayers of people who love you. Uh, there's going to be some people at the front of the auditorium who will meet with you and help you in any way that we can. Let's stand and sing.